0: you would, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22. Last week we finished with Galatians and we are uh, doing a passage which is appropriate for the celebration of the Lord's Supper today. It's in several of the Gospels. This one we're going to look at from Luke chapter 22. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we prepare to read the word of God? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes. Give us the insight that we need to understand, that we need to obey, that we need to live all the things in your word and to do so for your glory that the world might know the love of Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. And When the hour came, he reclined a table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Really, our emphasis this morning comes In this statement in verse 15 from Jesus, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I'm going to do my best in the next few moments to try to convey the meaning of this. Uh, Earnest, it is my earnest desire, I earnestly desire. That is one word, really it, it takes more than one word in the English to get this across. It is the greatest desire of my heart. It is the longing of my heart. It is the one thing that I most want to do above anything else. And that is to eat this meal with you. The origin of this desire stems from all the way back from before creation. When only the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were in existence. And the plan was made that the Son would leave the Father's side come into this world born of a virgin, live a sinless life and give that life to atone for our sin and be raised again on the third day. And he earnestly desires to fulfill that plan. The meal he is speaking of of course is the Passover meal and this is the last time he will partake of it in this world. So I'm going to refresh your memory on the Passover and and show how it ties in to what Jesus is doing here, now you remember if you watched you know theology by by a cinema, if you watch the Ten Commandments every easter it 's on and, and you see that there, the first nine plagues had gone on, and each of the plagues were targeted at one of the Egyptian gods Okay, at one of the Egyptian gods, the first nine, as was the tenth plague, and i 'll deal with that in just a moment and Pharaoh's heart was failed to be moved to release the Israelites into freedom. Now, sometimes it says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And other times it says, and God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Okay, so we see this back and forth. So finally, the Lord sent one last plague, the death of all of Egypt's firstborn. Now, Pharaoh's son, Pharaoh was considered the god of Egypt over all... And his son was considered deity as well. So this last plague was targeted particularly there. So the judgment would come quickly. It would come in one night when the angel of death would move through Egypt and take all of the firstborn of the nation of Egypt. And the Israelites were supposed to mark their homes so that the angel of death would pass over them, hence the word Passover. We see this in Exodus. So the household was marked as God's chosen people, distinct from the Egyptians. Now, why in the world would it have to be marked as distinct? Now, couldn't God send an angel of death who could tell the difference between one, one, the Egyptians and the Israelites? Well, certainly he could have. But the whole point of this is to point to the f- perfect fulfillment of this event in the person of Jesus Christ. So the angel of death moved over, passed over those houses which were marked by the blood of the sacrificed lamb on their doorposts. So that blood meant that the angel of death would pass over and fit into the larger picture of scripture. Now we have the Passover which led to the day of atonement as they wandered in the desert for 40 years and continued on where the chief priests would sprinkle the blood of the lamb Uh, or the the goat, onto the mercy seat as forgiveness for the people's sin, but they had to do it every year again and again and again. Uh, While I'm describing this, keep your finger in Luke, turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. This will give us a little bit more insight into this. So the angel of death would pass over. So we have the Passover, the Day of Atonement, and to, to participate in the Day of Atonement you had to have a lamb and it was to be without blemish. But the problem was every year you had to do it again and again and again. And the priest had to atone for his sin before he could go in to atone for the people's sin. Uh, and that just went on and on and on and on. And what we needed was the perfect, spotless, sin sinless Lamb of God who would cover the sins of all once and for all. Chapter 9, verse 11 of Hebrews. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come... Then through the greater and more perfect tent, referencing the tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So what we're seeing here in the beginning of the, with the Passover lamb is completed here in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who had no sin of his own to atone for, so he didn't have to make a sacrifice first. He was the sacrifice given for us, and it is only through the blood of Christ that we can experience that forgiveness of sin that we so desperately need. Now, back to Luke chapter 22. So the Passover meal was celebrated from that night on in remembrance of God's saving work. Once Israel was established in the Holy Land and the temple was built, then it was celebrated in the homes, but it was also celebrated there in the temple called the Day of Atonement. So the whole nation was really expected to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Unless you were just unable to do so, you were supposed to be in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Later generations would recite part of the Hallel, Psalms 113 through 118. Some, as they would go up to Jerusalem, and as we'll see in a moment, in the midst of the Passover meal, they would sing those Psalms as well. So it was necessary to celebrate the Passover on a certain timeline, and if possible, in Jerusalem at a certain place. Now why was the temple there in Jerusalem, well, you say, well, the temple was built because that's where Jerusalem was. No, not quite. If we're going to work backwards, the temple location is very specific. For in Second Chronicles chapter three, Solomon built the temple on the threshing floor of Ornan. Now, Ornan was just this guy, and if you remember Second Samuel twenty-four, David made a census. And which was against God's rules to count the people for battle. And afterwards, God gives him three options of punishment for his disobedience. And he says, I will trust our nation into the hand of the Lord. And after three days, the, the plague of the Lord is uh, ended, and David wants to sacrifice and give thanks. So he goes, and he wants to buy the threshing floor of Ornan. Okay? And Ornan says, no, you can take it. And David says, no, I will not offer a sacrifice to the Lord that costs me nothing. So he buys the threshing floor from Ornan. Now, this threshing floor just happens to be located on Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah in Genesis 22 is where Abraham takes Isaac up, uh, the command of the Lord to sacrifice Isaac, but the Lord provides a ram instead of Isaac. So we see that the location of the temple has been laid out, not by chance, but by God's plan in this spot. And Jesus and his disciples, when they gather for the, the, the Passover feast, are within, as best we can tell, within just uh, you know a few hundred yards or closer to the Temple Mount and the site there, celebrating this. So it's no coincidence there. Sacrifices have been offered for, thousands of, for over a thousand years at that spot. And here is the perfect Lamb of God about to be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins throughout the world. So chronologically, this meal with the apostles falls on Thursday night and into Friday morning because the new day starts at the setting of the sun. So that's why we have Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, etc. So here's a brief outline of the Passover meal from the first century. Okay? Number one, a prayer of thanksgiving was offered by the head of the household, and then the first cup of wine would be shared. Second step was the eating of the bitter herbs as a reminder of the bitterness of their years in slavery. Third step would be a question from the oldest son to the father. Why is this night distinguished from all other nights? And the father would provide the reasons from Exodus chapter 12 or from memory of that passage. The fourth part would be the singing of the first part of the Hal El Psalms, Psalm 113 and Psalm 114. Then they would wash their hands, then the drinking of the second cup. Number five, the carving and the eating of the lamb together with the unleavened bread. Remember, time was short. They were given one night to get ready to get out of Egypt. That's why the bread had no leaven in it. We'll expound upon that in just a moment. So the lamb was eaten in commemoration of what their ancestors had been commanded to do on the night that the Lord killed every firstborn of the Egyptians and delivered his people, Exodus chapter 12, chapter 13. The unleavened bread, because they had to leave in haste. The sixth step was the continuation of the meal, and then the drinking of the third cup. This is where things change here in step number seven. They would sing the last part of the Hallel Psalms, 115, 116, 117, and 118. And then they would drink the fourth cup. And this is where, in our passage, Jesus takes the Passover, which had been the same for some 1,400 years, and suddenly he inserts different words into the liturgy of the Passover. He says, you see this bread? This is my body given for you. Now you can imagine that the apostles are like, well, well, wait a minute. That's, those aren't the words that I grew up to. That, that, that's, those are the wrong words. He said, no, those are the right words from now on. From this moment on, this is what this meal is going to meet, mean. Jesus is demonstrating the fulfillment of all that has gone before, from the Passover all the way forward, all the way forward, all the sacrifices, all the lambs that were were, were sacrificed all of the liturgy, all of those things were pointing to Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection. The sinless, spotless lamb that takes away the sins of the world. So the Passover was a sign of faith in God. It marked Israel's redemption. It marked the beginning of them as a, as a real nation. It marked a memorial of God's saving action in their lives. And here in his actions on the Passover, just hours, literally hours before he is crucified, Jesus makes it clear to the twelve. By this turn in the, at the fourth cup. By saying this, he is Saying what John says in chapter 14, which we we looked at in Sunday school, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. That is exclusive, utterly exclusive. There is no other way to the Father except through Christ. So let's go back to our opening statement. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. So let that sink in for a minute. When there was only in existence the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it was determined that Christ would come into this world and give his life to atone for our sin. Ever since that moment, whenever it was agreed to, Christ has known that this moment has been coming. Now, we usually think, we, we look at something and say, oh, yeah, well, that's pretty far off. I won't worry about that. But as it gets closer and closer, the less like, the less we want to do it. Okay, approach avoidance. The closer we get to something that is unpleasant, the less we want to do it. Okay? Oh, I got a test in six weeks. No problem. I got a test in two days. Oh, I'm going to die. Okay, that's the way it was. Okay? but. From all eternity, Jesus has known this moment is coming. And as it gets closer, and here it is the day before, and he says, What to his disciples? I really, really, really want to eat this meal with you because it gets me one step closer to the cross. Then he was born for the cross. That's why he came into this world for that moment to atone for our sin. By sitting down at the Passover meal, it meant that in a few hours he was going to face the shame and the humiliation and the pain of the cross. And yet he looks at his disciples and says, I earnestly desire for this to happen. Think again for a moment what it would be like for Christ to live with the certain knowledge that this moment was coming. But yet he says, earnestly, more than anything else in the world, I really, really really want to do this with you what did that desire cost jesus he's already announced that one of his disciples will betray him he knows which one it is and what does he do he washes his feet he's already told Peter that you're going to deny me three times but what does he do he washes his feet he prays for him Matthew tells us he knows that he will die alone. All of them will scatter except for John. John will be there at the cross and He come and, and trust his mother to John. And he knows they're all going to scatter. But what does he do? He washes their feet. He says, I want to eat this meal with you. And his concern is for them after he is gone. He is is concerned about strengthening them and preparing them for the eventuality of his death and what life will be like without him. His earnest desire is to eat this meal, move to the cross. Now think about what that means in our hearts. Think about what he knows about your heart. He knows that sin in your life which, if it were made public, would cause you to bear the utmost shame and humiliation. That sin that you have worked so hard to bury in your heart, and to make certain nobody else knows about it. Yet he knows that sin, and he says, I want to eat that meal with you for your forgiveness. I know that sin, I know how bad it is, But I want to eat this meal so that you might know forgiveness, that you might know the cleansing that only comes through Jesus Christ. Now, the events that are unfolding here are not random. Okay, Jesus is not at the mercy of the chief priests, of the Pharisees, of the Romans, of anybody else. He is in charge of this timeline. Remember, he says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. They came to him on the cross to break his legs, to speed his death, but he had already yielded up his spirit to the Father. I earnestly desire for this to happen. In his kindness, out of his love for those in the upper room there with him, Jesus thinks not of his own suffering, but of their struggles that are going to come when he's gone. He wants them to know that God is in control of all of these things. The betrayal of Judas, the denials of Peter, the abandonment of the apostles, the brutality of the Romans will all be used for God's glory. For God's glory. He came to suffer. It wasn't an accident. It was the plan of the loving Father because this is the only way we can be forgiven if somebody bears our sins for us. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. So what should we do? In light of this, in light of this earnestness to give up his life for us that we might not face judgment, what should we do? First one's simple. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what he calls you to do today at this moment. Second, take into our lives the example of the preparations of the Israelites prior to the Passover meal. Prior to the Passover meal, they would take branches of hyssop, the same branches that were used to put the blood on the doorpost. They would take the branches of hyssop and they would go throughout their house and they would sweep the house, not because of dust. I mean, it was Egypt and dust was saying it everywhere. They were trying to get out any semblance, any smidgen of leaven. And we all know what leaven is. Leaven is, we call it yeast, or if you're doing that bread that never ends you know then you take a little bit of starter and you put it in the next batch and it leavens that batch okay so that's what they're getting out of their house all of the leaven why because throughout scripture the preponderance of illustrations about leaven say equate it with sin they want to get the sin out of their house And that's what Christ calls us to do. Randy, get the sin out of your house. He's not talking about my address in Madison. He's talking about this house. He's talking about this heart. We have to kill it. Westminster says we have to mortify the sin in our lives. I've got to hate that sin enough to want it to die. That's what the Israelites were doing. They were sweeping out the leaven. And that's what he calls us to do. Get the sin out of your house. Because it only takes a little bit. Think of your progression of thoughts. Whatever your favorite quote-unquote sin is, think of that. How do you get there? Okay, I'm going to avoid this sin. I've had enough of this sin. I'm going to get out of it. not going to be involved in it anymore. It only takes a little temptation. It only takes a little glimpse. And then that sin in your heart begins to work and go, oh, that wasn't too bad. I mean, I haven't done it in like three days, so maybe this will be okay. I only do a little bit of it. And before you know it, you're back into it. And you're going, how did I get back into it? Because a little bit of leaven leavens the whole loaf. The same is true with sin. It only takes a little bit of temptation. A brief glimpse of that sin. A brief opening of the door of our heart. And before we know it, sin has run right in. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to bring some friends in next time. and Some friends that we didn't count on. That's going to be our hearts. Mark 8, Jesus is alluding to this when he teaches this lesson. He just fed the 4,000, okay? And then he goes, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What's the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod? Thankfully, Jesus tells us it is unbelief in Christ. That is the problem. Unbelief in Christ. Herod didn't believe in Christ, the Pharisees didn't believe in Christ, and ultimately it hardened their hearts, John chapter 12. And the ruin of our spiritual lives awaits us if we harden our hearts. If we go, well, that's good, Rand, and uh, and I know somebody here need that. They needed that a lot, but I'm good. See, if we harden our hearts, just like Pharaoh did, if we harden our hearts here, then we're taking in the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. And Paul tells us, he tells us right about this table. He says, don't come to this table with a heart that's not right. Don't come to this table with unforgiveness on your heart. Don't come to this table with bitterness. Don't come to this table if you can't lay out your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, I am sorry, forgive me. Cleanse me of the sin that so encompasses me. The blood of Christ has been shed for that very purpose. And he earnestly desires to eat this meal with And he knows my heart. And he knows my sin. And he knows my shortcomings. And he knows my pettiness. And he says, Randy, I want to eat this meal with you. Because you belong to me. And I have died for you that you might know forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. And he has called us to this table as a demonstration of the extent of his love for us. And we think, how could somebody love me that much? Don't they really know me? i got stuff that's hidden in my life that that I don't even want to look at. and, And Jesus says, I've already seen that. There's forgiveness for that for you. You can walk in the newness of life, in the newness of Christ. I earnestly desire to eat this meal with you. That you would know forgiveness. That you would... Understand what it means to have that burden lifted from you. Yeah, but, but Lord, I, I don't share that sin with anybody. I know it. And when the sins in our hearts are forgiven, Scripture tells us there, as far as the east is from the west. The Lord remembers them no more. It took the perfect, spotless lamb of God to cleanse us from our sins. One sacrifice, no more needed. The only thing required of us is to believe. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in our hearts, confess with our mouths, and we will be saved. These are your promises to us, Heavenly Father. Fix them in our hearts, that we might come to the table with hearts that are right, with minds that are right. Understanding who you are, understanding how much Christ has given for us and how willing he was to do it. We thank you in his precious name. Amen.